0: Welcome in. This is the Solar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Star. we got Jared Dur- Dubin here, who is a prolific freelancer. You probably know him if you're listening to this podcast, if you're part of NBA Twitter, as it were. Um, so how are you doing, Jared?
1: I'm doing great, Eric. Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, thanks for coming on. It's the off-season. We've got some interesting things. No games to play, but Summer League's already over. But we got some interesting topics to talk about. Um, I want to start with these crazy—well, let's just get your general feelings on this— Kyrie situation, you've probably been talking about it for a while, Kyrie LeBron, um, all these reports out of where he wants to go, where he could go, and what it would take to get that deal done.
1: Yeah, um, so just to start, like, I don't understand wanting to leave a LeBron team. You know, Even if you say you want your own team and you don't think he's going to be there, well, you could just request a trade next year. Like, You might as well try to go to the finals one more time, make some big plays, get some more pub things like that. I don't understand leaving LeBron while he's still on your team. It doesn't make any sense to me. You know, that's just the initial reaction to it. Um, you know, the list of teams that he put out there doesn't entirely make a ton of sense to me either. When you hear the, uh, <clears throat> the, the, stated rationales, you know, there are basically two rationales floated out there at this point, you know, both of them, uh, by Brian Lindhorst. Uh, you know, the first one was that he wants his own team. Um, You know, he goes to San Antonio, which is on the list. That's not his team. That's Kawhi Leonard's team. He goes to Minnesota. That's not his team. That's Jimmy Butler and Carl Towns' team. Uh, You know, maybe Miami is his team. Maybe, like, New York, I guess he would be the number one option. But, like, he's not overtaking Porzingis in popularity here, like, based on what I've seen from just living here. Um, You know, the other thing is organizational stability. You know, on that front, you know, San Antonio obviously has organizational stability. Miami has organizational stability. Minnesota pretty much has none. And the Knicks are like the least stable team in the league. So <clears throat> I don't totally get the, the stated rationales. And I don't get wanting to leave LeBron. That said, um, getting out in front of LeBron leaving, maybe not the worst idea in the world. Like you might be left holding the bag there if you wind up staying. So, I mean, it's, it's a strange situation, obviously, and it's one that, you know, I think, I don't know if I necessarily put blame on Kyrie or blame on LeBron so much as it's it's evidence of the Cavs' dysfunction. Like, obviously we don't know for sure that if David Griffin was brought back that Kyrie wouldn't be making these demands, but certainly things would have been more organized than they were, and they probably wouldn't have found out on July 7th, you know, that was one of the things that Irving's agents supposedly told Winhorse was they didn't know who to talk to. And if they'd had exit meetings after the end of the season, then they would have known before the draft. So, you know, the whole thing is just a straight-up disaster. And, like, it's, you know, you see at this point how much LeBron has been covering up and the fact that the Cavs have been a poorly run organization for years.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of who could have, I mean, who could they talk to? Talk to everybody until you get somebody. Um, and then also kind of, if, if Kyrie wants to be the man, then wait till LeBron leaves, then it's your team. I mean, like, that, although my thing to that, to, on Kyrie's point is that that team is built to play a around LeBron. If LeBron's not there, and even if you, even if the chance that, I mean, you don't trade LeBron, but if you get, if you get stuff back and you can fill in that roster with the space that you have, it's still not a good team if, since it's built around LeBron and his skill set. Um, so that's always an interesting thing. Um, I'm here in here at Phoenix. you're here in there in New York, and th- those two teams are actually uh, rumored to be in part of or at least trade machined um to to this Kyrie deal, um both with Kyrie coming to Phoenix and Kyrie going elsewhere and Phoenix being the third team, New York being a third team. Uh, what did you what do you think about those mach- trade machine things that were thought up or anything that was leaked?
1: I think <clears throat> you know, just, from a logistical standpoint and from talking to people, it seems like to me Phoenix is considerably more likely to be either involved in a Kyrie deal or wind up with Kyrie than New York is. You know, I don't care how much he says he wants to play in New York, like Pablo Torre reported uh, earlier on ESPN uh, today. The Knicks just don't have anything that would be of enough interest to the Cavs, for them to get Kyrie other than Porzingis. And unless they're really stupid, they're not putting Porzingis in a Kyrie deal. So that sort of knocks it out to me right away. Um, I don't think that a mellow-centered deal comes anywhere close to being enough for what the Cavs would want. Um, You know, sort of immediately after the news broke, I said, like, I would bet money that Phoenix inserts themselves into this deal and Bledsoe winds up in Cleveland you know that was my initial reaction to the idea that Kyrie was going to be traded and I I still sort of think that
0: I kind of saw that which is kind of one reason I want to have you on the pod in general just because of my reaction to that news and the whole Suns Twitter and what we the kind of thoughts we have about this entire section um one is that I don't know if I even I'm kind of still on the fence of if I want Kyrie here what do you think about? Because a Kyrie Booker backcourt is just really, really bad defensively at the moment.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I certainly, obviously, agree with that. A Kyrie Bledsoe, uh, sorry, a Kyrie Booker backcourt would be, you know, as my friend Nate Duncan likes to say, it would be flammable. Um, uh, certainly, I agree with that, and you know that was why I said that the Suns would insert themselves into a deal. And Bledsoe would wind up in Cleveland. Not that the Suns would get Kyrie. I see them more as a third team being involved, you know, um, with throwing Bledsoe in there and taking contracts and getting paid off in assets. That seems like their more likely role in a potential Kyrie deal to me.
0: And that's what I was kind of also thinking of. With um, what do you what do you think uh, they would get? I mean, it sounds like they would be looking for um, Frank Nielakina. N- N- Le- N- Le- um, the guy that got, a, I think it was eighth, I believe, in the draft this year, and maybe other picks because really their only real asset is Porzingis. But uh, he would be a good young player. If you would, you would Brandon. I mean, Brandon Knight is a whole other conversation, especially with his injury now. Um, but so you say you are saying Bledsoe to the Cavs to play with his with LeBron, and
1: then what comes where? What what, what would you what were you thinking about? Well, it depends, obviously, who's getting Kyrie. You know, one of the things I floated was a Suns deal, or sorry, a Spurs deal, where, you know, the Suns got LaMarcus Aldridge. Obviously, they've been chasing after him for a couple of years. It's I know that a lot of Suns fans like to say it's old news and it's not going to happen anymore now that McDonough has an extension. Uh, they still like it. Like, that's that's not really breaking news um, you know, it's it's widely known. I think that they still like him, just because they're not necessarily totally lusting after him anymore. Doesn't mean they wouldn't okay a deal where they got him. You know, um, so that was something that I thought of immediately. And I, and I know they they have Bender, they have Chris, they have now Josh Jackson, who's like I guess sort of a three four type. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that they wouldn't still do a deal. Like th- those guys. If you're lucky, they'll be as good as Lamarcus Aldridge. Yeah, it's more um, about
0: the the timeline, as people are saying. I know I'm, I'm I'm I'm
1: familiar with the Suns' Twitter, the timeline. I understand. It's kind of driving um, me crazy
0: a little bit, but it's it's pretty good still.
1: That that doesn't necessarily mean like you can trade for Lamarcus Aldridge and not mess with the timeline. Like as long as yeah, that, exactly. That was just something that I sort of threw out there. Like I don't know necessarily that's you know going to happen, but. That's one scenario I could see because the Spurs were on Kyrie's list. But they also don't really have, unless Aldridge is in the deal plus a bunch more, they don't really have the assets to get Kyrie either. And that's the thing about his list. Like, his list doesn't matter because he doesn't have a no-trade clause, so he has no leverage to decide where he wants to go. And most of the teams that are on it don't really have, you know, the – the juice to get him. Like the Knicks don't have the juice to get him. The Spurs don't have the juice to get him. Uh, the They're Wolves basically... The traded everything can't... to get what they have. They can't trade right. any more of it to get him. <laughs> they basically can't get him until December 15th because Jeff Teague would pretty much have to be involved in any deal unless the Wolves, or sorry, the Cavs were willing to take Gorgie Jang, which, why? It shouldn't be. Um, so Miami is really the only team on the list that has really any combination of assets to get him. And it would be something like Goran Dragic and Justice Winslow, maybe a pick thrown in there too. And I don't know. I don't think that's really enough for what the Cavs would be looking for either. So it's really tough to do. And that's why I thought of the Suns as a good third team, because they could be an asset dumper and someone that gives the Cavs something they need.
0: For sure, I, I. That's why I was. That's why I was uh, going for, advocating for as well in terms of getting something, getting, figuring out, being that third team, not to get love necessarily, as some people have floated out there, which I think that's past. Um, I mean, it's the same. It's in the same uh, section there. as Aldridge. Like they wouldn't probably pass on him, but the price would have to be right and not giving up a core player. The thing, the main reason I was talking about all this and looking up different stats is that people were saying that in in sort of a Bledsoe to Cleveland straight up deal that Suns would have to add. I mean, the floated one that was leaked supposedly was uh, Bledsoe, Jackson, and a a first rounder.
1: Yeah, I want to address that before you go on. That's something that. that. Someone pulled that from the Low Post podcast with Oh yeah, Zach Lowe and Brian Windhorst. That is not what Brian said. That was not a report that, that, that they were offering that or willing to do that or anything. That was just basically them spitballing of what the Suns might have to do to get Cleveland to accept.
0: Yeah, I think, I was, so, I think you and I were the ones that were pushing that. Because I was actually listening to it while that like, right when that came out. Yeah. I was like, no, 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 that's not even close to what he said. This is what they do on the podcast, and this is what the hell they talk about it. But I think someone, I mean, at some point, it was Josh Jackson and Bledsoe as the as the thing, which kind of made me think it, that the uh, basically the whole the whole thing is, come, is coming to people think that Kyrie Irving is so much more better than Bledsoe than I think he is, and I was looking at the numbers, and I think that it's closer than people would like to believe it is. just because, To me, I think the main reason is because Kyrie plays with LeBron, always makes the finals. But I think that Bledsoe is, I think Kyrie Irving's better, more talented player. I think is a lot closer than people would like to think. And what do you think about that before we get into the numbers?
1: Yeah, I'm a really big fan of Bledsoe. And certainly last year was, I would say, the best year of his career. He was unbelievable last year for a team that, you know, basically nobody watched. Um but I think there there's two things there. So both of them obviously have injury concerns. Bledsoe has, I think, now torn his knee three times in his career. Um Kyrie has obviously had various injury issues throughout his career as well. Um so that's sort of a draw on that front, which means at that point you're talking about, you know, their actual skills on the court, because they both come with their injury concerns. Um Bledsoe, obviously, is the better defender. Kyrie is the better shooter. Kyrie is the better finisher around the basket and one-on-one creator. And I think that, you know, in the regular season, it's probably closer to a draw. But when you're talking about a specific possession of, a, of you know, at, at any point in the game or any point in the postseason, I think that's where Kyrie has an advantage because his ability to create and make his own shot off the dribble, whether on a jump shot or getting to the basket on his own. That's a separator that I think is really important when you get into close and late games. We've seen that obviously throughout his career. And it's a skill that doesn't necessarily make you more valuable over the course of a season. Like Mm -hmm. I would agree that they're closer than people generally think over the course of a full year. It's one of those weird things where inside of a small sample, the value is so much larger because he is able to do that.
0: I mean, it's the clutch gene. Like Bledsoe had it. I mean, the Suns I think had the most uh, buzzer beaters last this last year, um, and I think he had at least one of them. Booker had one. Ullis had one. Um, but also, I just I just th- I agree with all that you're saying there for sure. Um, so I wanted to go through. I wanted to go through a couple numbers really fast. I was looking up a. The main numbers then also first of all go to the uh, offensive real plus minus because I wanted to see what they were at Kyrie Irving is 8th among, among point guards at 4.35 and offensive real plus minus and Bledsoe is 14th among point guards at 2.33 um, in defense it's kind of it kind of you kind of see what, exactly what you're saying defensive real plus minus um, Bledsoe is 36th at a negative .64 kind of a product of who he was playing with in the sense that this was, many of it was after Tucker was traded. Some of it was after Tucker was traded before he got benched, and then playing with Booker and Chris and people who haven't played defense very long or very well. Um, and then, but even worse is Kyrie is 69th at uh, among point guards at negative 2.3. Um, so that if you total it all out, it's Kyrie Irving is 12th at point guards at 2.05, and Bledsoe is 15th among point guards at 1.69. Very close together. Um, though the popularity of Kyrie, the fact that he's in the finals, and the fact that the Suns are so bad, uh, probably is a factor in the fact that people think they're so far apart.
1: Yeah, I I would definitely agree with that. But I think also, um, you know, the specific offensive skills, again, like Kyrie is one of the, I don't know, five or six best offensive players just you know, in terms of one-on-one being able to get whatever they want in the league, that's incredibly valuable. And I think even when you look at, you know, the RPM, and obviously Bledsoe is a better defender, and I think, you know, a straight-up swap of the two could even improve Cleveland in the regular season. But when you look at situationally, I think they would get worse, especially because I think you need a guy with LeBron that can play both on and off the ball at an elite level. And I think that Kyrie certainly fits that bill.
0: Although the caveat, I think, would be, I would be really interested to see that swap straight up for a Cavs fan. Because I want to see what Bledsoe does when he gets to play with LeBron. Because he hasn't had the chance. I mean, he was, he didn't, well, he didn't really play when he was with the Clippers and Chris Paul. And then, and he probably didn't play with Chris Paul, maybe ever. um, Very rarely, yeah. Very rarely. I mean, like a couple times probably. But then he plays here with, with nobody for several years I was time with booker but that's i mean that's not the same thing and so if he went to go play with lebron i would see because i i see glimpses of him being able to play off ball and like you've said i mean do you remember when he came in the league he couldn't shoot threes at all he had to walk into it now he can actually shoot them pretty confidently while obviously not nearly as prolifically as Kyrie can that's no one's saying that but it's it's something that he can actually do that people can't always go under. I mean, he's nowhere near Rondo or somebody like that. I mean, even though Rondo's numbers are better than He's
1: a pretty solid shooter. And certainly when you play with LeBron, just the amount of space that you're afforded by the attention that he draws, um, you know, you're able to get to the basket a little bit more freely. Um, You know, Kyrie obviously does perfectly well in a ton of traffic too. Uh, I think Bledsoe especially would benefit from having a little bit more space because his driving style is more straight line more often. You know, he has developed that ability to keep defenders on his back and, like, use his ass to separate himself and get a little bit more cushion in the middle of the lane. You know, I think the, the biggest development in his game over the last couple of years has been an abil- his ability to modulate his speed. Like, he's obviously always been a really, really fast player, one of the fastest in the league. But over these last few years, I think the ability to to change speeds and use that as a weapon against the defense has been a big development for him and being able to do that when you play with LeBron obviously is huge as well. Um, so he would benefit a ton, but elite off the dribble three point shooting, I think is probably the most dangerous skill for a point guard right now. And Bledsoe's like pretty good at it right now while Kyrie is elite at it. Yeah, and elite, I think that that sure. makes a huge difference.
0: Oh, for sure. I, I definitely think so. I don't, so that's why it's curious to see what, I mean, well, one, in terms of depth, I think the Suns almost can't afford to lose Bledsoe and not get Kyrie back or something because now they have, I mean, it's 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 Bledsoe, Booker, Ulis, Devon Reed, um, I think it's Elijah Millsap, like, they don't have... They don't have Barbosa. They don't have Knight for the season. Like, they don't have depth there where they used to... I mean, that used to be the thing that everybody thought that all that the Suns had was backcourt depth. Um, it's and all Kentucky really guards. It's all Kentucky guards, yeah. Um, and even Archie Goodwin's gone, so it could have been more. Um, but, the, so the question is, really, what if... I mean, this is probably not going to happen. I'm not thinking soon, but I think it's it to got to happen before training camp, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, the
1: Cavs basically said like there's no deadline on it for them <laughs> that's so people with
0: a deadline say
1: that's that's definitely true um i would think if they're gonna work it out with him that has to happen by training camp otherwise like is he even gonna show up yeah so i think that if it gets into training camp it's more likely that he stays but who knows? They've had they have had people not report to training camp before. Tristan Thompson didn't show up to training camp on time a couple of years ago when he was getting his contract. Um, so who knows? But I, I do think that you know to me the Suns are more likely a third team in any Kyrie scenarios just because I don't see them giving up like like you said Bledsoe Jackson and a first round pick. Or, I mean Jackson even
0: I mean I mean it was reported uh, by our the local guy here that it Jackson is not in any and I think Ramona Shelburne as well that Jackson's not included in any deal that would include a Kyrie deal or any deal uh, which makes sense because Jackson fits perfectly next to Booker and whoever else as the three with Warren coming off the bench Just I mean I like what do you first I guess that transitions to what do you think of Jackson?
1: I really like him. Um, I did a series of podcasts ahead of the draft lottery for uh, you know the Knicks podcast that I uh, was hosting for a while on you know all of the top prospects and Jackson to me was the guy that had the least amount of separation between what I expect his career to be and his ceiling. I feel like he's very likely to come pretty close to maxing out to be all that he can be and that his floor is very high. Just because I think he's going to be able to guard at least two or three positions on, uh, you know, basically all of the perimeter positions at this point, two, th- like two, three, four, um, you know, be able to switch across those positions. I think he's going to be able to get out and transition really well offensively. He's got good feel for the game in the half court that I think should be able to make up for the fact that he probably won't shoot all that well at least for a couple years. Like I think it's going to take him a little bit to get the rhythm of his jumper down. That was one of the things that he had trouble with at at Kansas. So I think he's going to be a very good player. You know, I don't know necessarily, uh, you know, a star or superstar type, but I could see him being sort of like a Sean Marion light type player. And I think that that's a really, really good player. You know, I'm someone that thinks Sean Marion should go to the Hall of Fame. So I, I give that as an extreme compliment when I say that I see him as that type of player.
0: Yeah, he I mean Sean Marion's always underrated no matter like forever. Um, I mean I was here the whole time that he was being amazing and human pogo stick and everything. I mean I was watching Josh Jackson's Summer League, which is of course not we're looking for feel, we're looking for attributes, not not points or anything like that. But he was a an exceptional rebounder, I thought, for his size, for his how he rebounds, just the way he rebounds and his positioning. I loved him in transition, and his fluidity was better than I thought it was going to be.
1: And rebound—I'll uh, say the—with full disclosure that I don't even watch Summer League when I go to Summer League, and <laughs> I didn't go this year, so I did not watch at all. But I will note that rebounding is one of the stats that, uh, per Kevin Pelton at ESPN, tends to translate the most from Summer League to regular season.
0: Wow, that's well, then, It's even better. 'Cause uh, Booker doesn't really necessarily do it and uh, it they need it. <laughs> um, I mean I I feel like it was watching probably a Grizzlies game with Zebo and everybody else where it was like, hey, maybe grab a rebound, maybe you'll get any points. Um, so actually that this um I wanted to transition to uh, I was trying to rank the point guards uh, because people were saying, Oh, Kyrie's the third best point guard in the league or blah yeah, blah so blah. No. I know exactly. So I wanted to do it first. I wanted to say a little my tears, and then I wanted to kind of ask you specifically on each player. Well, top it doesn't you're not going to hold you to it, but uh, I, I mean, we're going to count James Harden as a point guard in this scenario. Um, would you do you do that, or do you not count him as a point guard?
1: Yeah, um, that's really tough. I mean, obviously, his offensive role it depends. It's so difficult to even categorize positions for players like that because he's clearly a point guard style at least offensive player but he basically never guards point guards so it's difficult to say that he is one but then you know you look at it the other way around Avery Bradley guards point guards all the time but he's obviously not a point guard offensively so what do you say he is um it just it just depends how you look at it
0: and then what they're listed as so anyway um, Steph Curry, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, James Harden—they're definitely better than Kyrie Irving, I would say. Mm-hmm. That's the first tier. The second tier, I think, is John Wall, Damian Lillard, Mike Connolly, Bledsoe, Kyle Lowry. I mean, maybe Bledsoe's below that. I was just trying to fit him in there somewhere. And then people, and then Isaiah Thomas, and then George Hill, Kemba Walker—I think—is in that lower tier. And then you can just go on from there. Um, so let's just ask you one on one on one: Is Kyrie Irving better than John Wall? <sighs>
1: I mean, this is this comes down oh. a lot to... I know. I know. To, gut
0: reaction, gut reaction.
1: You know, gut reaction, personal preference. John Wall is one of, like, my three or four favorite players in the league. Like, you're probably not going to get me to admit that that many players uh, are better than him.
0: Yeah, I think John Wall is better than
1: Look, I, I think he's a better defender. I think he is a better and more natural passer. Definitely. But again, you know, Kyrie has, you know, he is a significantly better half court scorer because of that ability to get his shot from pretty much anywhere off the dribble. You know, that's the one thing that wall still struggles with, you know, is whether it's pull up jumpers from inside the arc, outside the arc, you know, Kyrie even is a better finisher around the rim in the half court as well. So it's, it depends what, you know, you're really looking for out of your point guard, you know, I think it's easier to build a team around John Wall. And I think, you know, their overall level of skill is probably pretty similar. It sort of depends what you're looking for. It's a matter of personal preference. Like, I, If somebody told me they thought Kyrie was better than John Wall, I would say, you know, I probably don't agree. But obviously, like, it's very easy to see why someone would think that.
0: Um for sure. And I guess one one um way to look at it is switch the players and see how the wizards are. Are they a better team, a worse team, the same team?
1: Yeah, I think, I think that you know that Yeah, I think so too. That team is built very much around Wall's skill set. You know, it's a lot of guys that are, you know, spot up shooters and guys that come off screens and you know, pick and pop big man, more Keith Morris, you know, picking like pick and rescreen big man in Marcin Gortat. That is a very good fit with John Wall. You know, um, and they've had over the years guys that you know, I've talked to Brad Beal about this multiple times. Like, when they get out in transition, they don't sprint to the basket. They sprint to the corner because they know that Wall is going to get into the paint and he's either going to take it all the way to the rim or he's going to you know, fake out two guys and hit them in the corner for three. You know, I've, I've talked to Beale about that. I've talked to Otto Porter about that. I've talked to all those guys about that. And that's just what they do. That's something that would completely change if Kyrie was on that team.
0: Yeah, Wall's too fast for that. I mean, for sure. Uh, what do you think about Isaiah Thomas versus Kyrie Irving?
1: They're very similar players. I think they if are? you look at their numbers, um, you know, obviously Isaiah's, you know, whatever he is, four or five, six inches shorter. Um, but, the way they attack is they're setting up everything off of their ability to get any shot they want off the dribble, whether it's at the basket or pulling up and, you know, neither one of them is necessarily looking to pass first, but I I think that Isaiah probably has a little bit more natural vision, but I think, you know, Kyrie is obviously not a very good defender, but, I think he's less of a negative than Isaiah because Isaiah basically has to be hidden and you can't really hide him on that many people. Um, I, I think Kyrie, because he, he's whatever he is, I think he's six, three, you know, you can get away with putting him on two guards and, you know, trying to have him be physical with them. It's not going to work that well all the time, but, you know, I think you're more able to get away with him defending different kinds of players than you are with Isaiah. I mean, and, exactly.
0: you know, I mean exactly. I mean exactly because it's 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 mostly his height. If Isaiah Thomas was six foot three, six foot four, he would be really 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 good. Um, yeah. And then I guess the for me the the way to look at it is if you're playing the Thunder and you have Andre Roberson, can, I, Isaiah Thomas would be eaten alive by Roberson on the block or something. They they'd make a mismatch out of it. But if you put I the think the Celtics
1: it, would cool. very much welcome that.
0: Well, yeah, exa- well, exactly, but but if Kyrie's on him, it's like an it's a moot point; It doesn't matter. Like Kyrie guarding Roberson, he can do fine at it. But of course, yeah, if Isaiah's on Roberson, yeah, never mind. <laughs>
1: um, so, what about Damien Lillard? Yeah, they're basically the same player. Yeah, um, you know, you look. I was listening to can't remember who it was somebody else's podcast on uh, a couple days ago that I was listening to, and there was a Kyrie and Lillard comp. They had basically like the same true shooting percentage, the same usage rate, the same assist percentage, the same steal rate, the same block rate, the same rebound rate last year, and um, you know Kyrie gets to do that playing with LeBron, and Dame gets to do that being the number one guy. Uh, but Dame, I think, also has the pressure of being that number one, so it's it's a little bit more difficult maybe to get his numbers. But if you put Kyrie on his own team, you know, I think that there's untapped upside there to get even more numbers offensively, and I think he's a little bit less of an of a liability defensive defensively than Lillard is. You know, that's not to say Kyrie is a good defender, but I think Lillard is a little bit more flammable even than Kyrie is. Yeah,
0: I wanted to bring up, I mean, just because just because I had it up, you're talking about the same numbers and um, just switch, switch quickly back to Eric Bledsoe versus Kyrie Irving. I have him side-by-side side here. I mean, uh, let's see here. Bledsoe has more, per 36 minutes, per 100 possessions, pretty much doesn't matter. More assists, more rebounds. Um, obviously, Kyrie's a better shooter, so better free throw percentage, better uh, two-point percentage, better three-point percentage. But in all those other characteristics, he's uh, Bledsoe's better and plays less minutes. And... Um, Yeah, so and plays less with LeBron, or at all with LeBron. But like you said, I mean, Lillard's very close um, in terms of that player. And then do you think that Conley, or or,
1: what about Kyle Lowry first, Kyle Lowry? Yeah, I mean, I I think that Kyle Lowry and probably Mike Conley are both probably better players. Um, Those are, again, like Mike Conley, I've been caping for him to make the All-Star game for, I feel like, five years at this point. Um, He's another one of my favorite players in the league. And, you know, he is, I think he showed last year, he can be just as good offensively as these star point guards. And he is one of the few true positive defenders at point guards still. You know, I think that... Him and Chris Paul, and there it's it. <laughs> yeah, him and Chris Paul. Bledsoe, obviously, is one of them as well. Um, you know, he's not quite an elite defender that he sometimes gets sold as but he's a very, very good defender. And, you know, with the increase in his volume last year in terms of his willingness to take more shots, uh, I think he proved that he's right in that upper echelon of offensive point guards as well. And he, he's so good, man. Um,
0: so it sounds like you're saying that Connolly and maybe even Kyle Lowry are in a tier above these players, but below the top four we already mentioned?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think that after those top four, I would probably have... Conley, Lowry, Lillard, Wall, and Kyrie, Isaiah and... Thomas. I think Isaiah probably like at the end of the tail end of that group, but lumped in with them. I mean, there's there's so many guys that you could really lump in together. The and point guard position is, is so In the good. tier or not in the tier? Yeah, like blood. Like you know, you I think you could make arguments for guys like Bledsoe and Kemba. Yeah, am uh, probably unrated. forgetting guys off the top of my head. Uh, I love George Hill. I mean, I don't know if he's necessarily quite as good as those guys. Dragic, like.
0: Can't find a bigger fan of Dragic than me.
1: Yeah. Um, well, you can't. Dra- Dragic is very good. Um, I'm, I'm definitely forgetting guys. that and we're, we're not at the 15 right range.
0: Now. And, uh, yeah, yeah, but
1: right. Again, like, you're already towards, like, the. You're getting into, like, league average starting point guard, and it's guys that are, like, among the 40 or 50 best players in the league.
0: Yeah, there's a lot. It's very guard-heavy recently, except for some of these crop of centers that are jumping up. Remember, it used to be the small forwards were the the king of the, I don't know, it seemed like the small forwards were where it was at, Durant, LeBron. And, and now, and now like, nobody has those guys. Nobody has nobody has a good small forward that's like a two-way player other than Kawhi. Um, so here's a question. So I think, I mean, we were talking about Mike Conley, Bledsoe. It sounds like neither one of them are ever going to make an All-Star game, as long as they stay in the West. Um, just because you have to, oh I, we forgot about well Clay's not really a point guard but in terms of front backward spots it's always Clay Steph Westbrook Chris Paul until he declines Lillard like it's very very low chance that Bledsoe or Conley really are going to make an All Star team so you agree with that right
1: Yeah I mean one of the first things I said after I think the Paul George trade was like congratulations to Mike Conley on keeping the Title as the best player to never make an All Star team for all of eternity,
0: for all of eternity for sure. Um, so that begs the question: What? Okay, I'm a Booker guy just because I watch him all the time. What What year does Booker make the All Star team?
1: That's a difficult question. So, um, I I will say about Booker, I was higher on him before the draft than the general consensus
0: for his, and then I
1: realized before his draft. Um, than the general consensus was. And then I realized around the draft this year that apparently I'm now lower than the consensus on him because <laughs> there were people that were like, you can't trade Booker for Porzingis.
0: And I, I was like,
1: no. you people are out of your minds. Now you can uh-huh. trade Booker for
0: Porzingis, but the thing we were all, or some of us were saying was that you can, but that's a pretty, in a. Obviously, Porzingis is better, but that's a pretty lateral move and doesn't help you at all, so you might as well stick stand pat.
1: Yeah, I strongly disagree with that. Um, really? Yeah. Um, uh, Porzingis is already an elite rim protector, and pretty much the most valuable thing a big man can be in the league right now is an elite rim protector and a floor spacer. And he's already you know, shown improvement. In his three-point shooting, and obviously everybody, you know, there's a pretty consistent belief that he's going to be at least a consistently above-average three-point shooter through through his career. I'm um, considerably high volume, and that is much more valuable than a you know high-volume above-average three-point shooter with horrible defense from the yeah. Way. I mean, and, we'll see and I really like Devin Booker but I can't really see him ever becoming a positive defender at this point.
0: He, I mean, I have a decent faith or whatever that he's going to become neutral. I mean, I can see that he can become neutral. As I, I could see
1: that, but I, I think it's more likely that he winds up like slightly below average, which is fine. Like, he's still going to be a really good player if he gets to slightly below average. Um, but Porzingis is so... I think that that's, above, so. that's a ways off, and Porzingis, like... I think his defense on the perimeter slipped last year, but he ascended a a level much higher protecting the interior. And when you can do that and stretch the floor as a big man, that is hugely valuable in a way that you have to be a considerably above average defensive wing to go along with whatever you bring offensively in order to reach that level of value to me.
0: Hmm. I, I still don't understand quite what you're meaning in terms of how that's not a still somewhat of a uh, lateral move. Like it like if the Suns were able at the time able to trade anything but Booker for it, Booker for Porzingis, it's a much much better move than any kind of deal that switches Booker for Porzingis. I think that I think that's oh, all I was saying.
1: Yeah. Obviously. Okay. But okay. It I wasn't was,
0: obvious to some people.
1: Yeah. Um, my my pushback was the idea that trading. Booker for Booker Booker plus for Porzingis was crazy. I do not think that's crazy at all. I think that that's something that, if it was on the table, they should have done. Um, but I don't think it was on the table.
0: No. Yeah. Okay. Um, one quick quick, quick question is about Porzingis versus Towns. Um, what do you think of them? I and mean, do you think I mean is Towns better? I think I think he's better. But
1: oh yeah, like look, Towns is he's the best. Big man prospect to come along since, like, Tim Duncan. Like, uh, um, yeah, I, I think along with Anthony Davis, I th- you know, I think they're they're different players. Davis is, I mean, he's he's so freaking good too. Um, Towns, well, I, think, I think
0: Towns is gonna be better in a year or two.
1: Yeah Towns has a smoothness to him that you should not have as a player that size. Um, It doesn't make any sense to me that he moves the way he does, but he takes a step back jumper and it looks, you know, the same level of smooth as like Chris Paul taking a step back jumper. It makes no sense that he's able to move that way. And, you know, he's already capable of switching out onto guards at the end of the shot clock. I think that you know, he he took a step back last year defensively, just like a lot of the Timberwolves did. But that's something that I think was sort of expected playing with Tibbs for the first year, because his rules are so much stricter and much different than a lot of other coaches. So I think he's going to be able to get to the level defensively that people thought he would. You know, certainly he wasn't there yet last year, but
0: especially this is with already Butler a and everything.
1: High level, fairly high volume three point shooter someone who is already one of the better post-up big men in the league. He has great feel passing whether off the dribble or off the block. He makes jumpers from basically all areas of the court. And I see him becoming a very, very good defender as well. Like there is nothing that he can't do that you want a big like there's nothing you want a big man to do that he can't. And you know, Porzingis does not have that level of sophistication to his game. Offensively, I think that it's possible he could have a similar level of impact on defense, but Towns is always just going to be able to do a little bit more offensively. You know, even if Porzingis becomes a higher volume uh, three-point shooter that maybe can stretch the floor a little bit more.
0: Yeah, for sure. Just a couple more questions here. Um, One is, I'm going to ask Jabari this, Jabari Davis, um, next week about the Lakers, but it looks like every team in the West got better significantly other than the Lakers and Suns, which but seems to be somewhat intentional um, in, on all sides. But um, what do you see, I mean, I don't know. What do you see with the Lakers and Suns next year and however, team got better, but they didn't?
1: Yeah, they're going to be bad. Um, you know, the, I don't think there's really any way around that. Teams with that many young players tend to be bad, especially when they're playing as big a roles as you would expect them to. And I think that you know, especially if the Suns do trade blood, so at some point they're going to be really, really bad. I I think that they have eight guys, twenty four or younger from the last like three or four drafts. Them and the them and the Kings are up there with those with those guys.
0: They had a like, as the famous stat, they had a starting lineup or an average age that was younger than a college team that was in the tournament.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I did see that. Yeah, I mean, and and that's just you know. Look, that's it's fine for them to not be very good next year. You know, their their trajectory is not one that says they should be good this year. You so know, they should be they, good in three years. <laughs> right. They they have another couple of picks next year with the, with theirs and uh, Miami's which is top ten protected. That sounds I think? right.
0: That sounds right. Then that's unprotected the next time, I think.
1: Something like that. Uh, it's uh, it's tr- me trying to remember off the top of my head, so I could be wrong. But they've got a lot of young talent. They have a guy that went to Miami, so there's you know they're going to have a superstar in a couple of years in, in Davon Reed because he's from my my alma mater.
0: Yeah, he's um, gonna be good. He's gonna get some minutes at yeah. backup uh, shooting guard.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think he's gonna play a little bit, and um, you know, it'll. I think he'll have a very similar path. That he had at Miami, where he doesn't play a lot early, and you know it seems like he is an okay defender that is a slightly below average three point shooter. And then when his excuse me when his shot comes around um, in a couple of years and gets him onto the court more often, then you'll see that he's actually capable of guarding like one through four uh, for certain stretches of the game, and he's going to be a pretty valuable player. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, look. The Suns have a lot of intriguing talent. I think a lot of their future is going to depend on whether or not or which of Bender and Chris pans out to be the kind of player they want them to be. You know, To me, they're both guys that should ideally play next to um, another big man, and I don't know if they can be that big man for each other. Um, like, I don't know if either one of them is a guy I'd trust to play center and be like my guy that's protecting the back line. I definitely um, don't trust
0: Chris to be that. I want Bender yeah. to be that because Bender, as a five, is more valuable than as a four or a three.
1: Yeah, I I, I definitely agree with that. I just don't know if I trust that he's going to get there. You know, mm. certainly I think he has more potential to be that than Chris, just because he seems like more aware of what he's doing when he's on the court, yes. even though like he was pretty bad last year. Um, he was but nineteen. I think, <laughs> He, exactly. He was 19. He was coming over from Europe. That's already something that, um, you know, guys tend to not do very well with. You know, like people saw Porzingis do it and it's like, they think it's the norm. Like, no, that was extremely unusual. That's why nobody thought it was going to happen. And everybody was floored when it did.
0: Yeah, he emigrated or whatever. He, he got to the United States and kind of before he even got here, he was like trying to, as all the stories came out of him, him trying to acclimate to America before he even came here.
1: Mm-hmm. And look, what, what happened with Bender is the norm. Like, that's what happens for most guys, even high lottery picks like he was. And I, I still think he's going to be a good player. You know, I tend to put more weight on what I thought of him before the draft than what I saw last year, just because it was such a strange situation for him to be in. So I, I still have pretty high hopes for him as a player, but I do think a lot of the Sun's future is tied up in whether or not those guys can work. As um, you know, a four or five combination together. But I feel really good about Jackson. I feel good, you know, just because I watched him for four years. Uh, about Davon Reed, they obviously have a lot of other young guys as well. Tyler Us looked pretty good last year. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. That you know, they've got guys in the front court as well. Like uh, you know, they brought Allen Williams back, who was looked like an interesting player last a great year. Great deal. Yeah, they brought him back on a very good deal. Um, you know, Tyson Chandler, maybe they could get some assets for him uh, at some point. I don't know what's going to happen with Alex Lynn, obviously still sitting out there on uh, on the free agent market. Who knows? Like, yeah, if if you could bring him back on his qualifying offer, I guess you can give him some minutes. Um, I, I wouldn't be too thrilled about re-signing him long-term, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, you
0: can trade him. If you, as long as it's not a exorbitant contract, you can probably bring him back, trade him whenever – or trade him, have him back up. Like – they haven't. They don't have their, their start. Their center of this future. So what does it matter? It's not Chandler. It's not Len. It's not Williams. So bring him back. Yeah. See what and happens. Look, they, they do
1: have you know more tradable pieces too. Obviously, Bledsoe is a very good piece. Um, you know that doesn't necessarily fit in the quote unquote timeline. He's you know four, five, six years older. Than uh than the guys that are forming the young core, you know, if it's three or four years, it's fine. But I mean, he's seven years older than Booker, seven years older than Chris, seven years older than Jackson, eight years older than Bender. Like, that's not really a workable timeline. Plus, I think his contract is up not after this year, but the year after that. Um, Although I would you know, say
0: that um the one when I when I, everybody says things like that, I, I I agree in a sense. Like, I'm not saying that he's going to be, but. Remember the 2014 Spurs, which I mean, okay, that's saying a crazy good team of, of uh, in terms of. Gel, right, but that was together. those guys
1: were. Um, they had their older guys still as the core, and the younger guys were the supplementary
0: ones. Was, yeah, this Kawhi would was, be the
1: younger guys as the core with Bledsoe, who's still the best player on the team, as like the guy supplementing them, and and I think that that's where you get caught. It's a similar situation to like you know, Carmelo no longer fits the Knicks timeline because even though he was probably still the best player on the team last year, which is sad because he wasn't, you know, as as good as he normally is, he's just so far ahead timeline-wise of their, you know, Porzingis, Hernan Gomez, Nilakina core that it no longer makes sense for them to be on the same team. And I think it's a similar thing, uh, you know, with Bledsoe, especially because, you know, he's going to be, I think, twenty nine. When he's a free agent, all of a sudden you have to pay him a ton of money if you want to keep him, and it doesn't make that much sense to keep him. So, you know, it does seem like there's a little bit of a window here to, you know, get something more out of that. That, you know, maybe not draft picks, but younger players that fit the timeline more. Uh, And I I know timeline is the thing, but, you know, he's not the only one, too. Jared Dudley is a very uh, solid rotation player that I think has much more value on a good team than on a team like the Suns, even though he is valuable as, you know, a mentor to the younger guys and, you know, professionalism, show them how to play and things like that. Um, And I know he likes Phoenix a lot, so it would be, you know, difficult for him to leave, but I think he has much more value to a good team.
0: Same thing with Tyson Chandler. Chandler, yeah, Chandler, um, Brandon Knights is a whole other thing, but, I mean, Knights and Chandler's uh, $70 five-year contracts are looking pretty good now. Mm.
1: Oh, well, look—they're not as bad as Joe Kim Noah's deal.
0: Yeah, right. Totally. Um, so you're saying that one—the one the, of one, the last thing that Bledsoe—you think Bledsoe still significantly or at all better than Booker? I mean, I think they're—I think it's close, but I think—I think I agree.
1: I don't know if it was all that close last year. Um, I, I, Bledsoe was so good last season, um, and look, Booker scored really well. Did not really do anything else well at all last year. And I, and I think that he will be someone who eventually does other things pretty well. And I think that as he takes more of, um, more of an, it's it's hard to say more assertive because obviously he's very assertive already offensively. Um, but I think as he amps up his three point volume, and if he can nudge his percentage up into like the high thirties rather than the mid thirties, then you know that will make him an even more valuable player. And I think that that will happen. Um, again, it's you know Bledsoe's two way abilities um, you know far outweighed I think what Booker did last year.
0: Yeah, even there, though there Bledsoe was...
1: did miss I think fifteen games. Well, or they
0: like that. benched him, but he was fine. Um, yeah, but I mean, I th- also I would say that Booker had flashes of things that you thought you're like, well, that is something that. Is amazing, like all the all the, the, mm-hmm. all the uh, off the backboard blocks of people. When you're like, this guy's supposed to be a three point shooter. What happened here? Mm-hmm. Um, and then just his he's leadership. a good
1: athlete. I think that gets a little bit underrated because he's a guy that people see as a shooter. Um, he's a pretty athletic guy too. And, and He worked on
0: his floor game. He can really do that better. Yeah. Um, his leadership I mean, his leader. think as, might... as
1: he gets more comfortable with the ball in his hands, um, you know, that's something he never did. At Kentucky, like I think, you know, Cal said it during the draft. He didn't run a single pick and roll in his one year at Kentucky. Um, So I I think as he, you know, he certainly showed more comfort down the stretch of his rookie year with the ball in his hands. It wasn't something they let him do a lot of early. Then by the end of the year, he's doing a little bit more. He did a little bit more again last year. Showed a little bit more comfort. I think as he gets the ball in his hands more and more, he'll show more comfort there. Maybe he can create a little bit more for others. I think he was at like three assists a game last year or something like that. If he could nudge that up like over four or something like that, that makes him a much more dangerous player uh, as he can create off the dribble, not just for himself, but for others as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm curious. I mean, I want to ask Dabari and i want going to ask just random people who aren't even necessarily Suns or Lakers guys. But would you say it's fair to say that if nobody's trying to bench players that the Suns will finish better than the Lakers if Bledsoe stays and worse than Lakers if Bledsoe gets traded?
1: Um,
0: or is that too broad?
1: Yeah, I think it's a little bit too broad. Like, a lot is obviously going to depend on injuries yeah. and, you know, when they catch which teams, who rest their guys against the Lakers as opposed to the Suns. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think that they're going to be, you know, much like last year, they will be very close to similar in quality and will be more than likely the bottom two teams in the Western Conference.
0: Oh, for sure the bottom two teams. The question for me is the Knicks, the Magic, the, well, the Sixers will be pretty good, but and the Nets, are they going to, or are the Lakers and Suns vying for 1-2 overall?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, look, it's, you know, it's that group. It's the Suns, the Lakers, the, the Nets, the Knicks, the Magic, the Hawks, maybe the Bulls.
0: Oh yeah, the Hawks and
1: Bulls. You know, that that group of teams is going to be jockeying in the one through seven range for a lot of the year.
0: For sure. Hopefully, this year the Suns may get lucky and actually get the spot that they earn, as it were, instead of always moving down, which they seem to do every single year.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they've uh, they've gotten themselves some decently high picks, and some of them have worked out pretty well. So yeah.
0: Um, well, I guess that's all. I was going to ask a couple of questions, but I think we're about time, and that kind of wraps up the same topics nicely. Why don't you plug what you got, and we'll get out of here.
1: Yeah. Um, you can find my work uh, at, at Vice while it still exists, if it still exists. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can find it at It's The Step Back. You can find it, you know, all of the other places that I pop up now and again. Um, if you follow me on Twitter at JADubin5, I always link to all my work there. And there's a link to my archive uh, in my bio. I got some other projects potentially in the works uh, over the next couple of months or so. We'll see if those things work out.
0: Wonderful. I forgot you were at fan too. I was there for the first uh, three years of their existence, basically something like that. that was some great people there. Indeed. Yes. Um, so follow me at Eric underscore SAR. We got podcast, great podcast coming up the next couple of weeks as well. Um, of course go follow Jared um, and come back you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher and Google Play and of course also as I say at the end of all my podcasts I have another business for player development called Elite Hoops Development Um, and if you know anybody in Phoenix Arizona that needs player development send them my way Um, thanks so much everybody thanks Jared and have a good night